at SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. Okay, we seem to have sorted out our connection and we welcome Mr. Trevor Quirk now joining us from our Cape Town studios. Good evening, Mr. Quirk. Thank you very much for joining us on SAFM, sir. It's an honor for us to be talking to you. Good evening, Tabiso, and it's wonderful to be with you. And uh, I must say you hold the fort wonderfully well uh, like a true blue broadcaster should be able to do and you've been fantastic but I'm used to these sort of things I've lived a life of you know what they call stirrings in Afrikaans <laughs> thank you very much for that wonderful uh, compliment I really appreciate that we are celebrating World Radio Day Mr. Quirk this week it was on Wednesday and you are one of our heroes in sports broadcasting and that's why we brought you on here to celebrate you what does this medium radio mean to you sir well, it's uh, been my life, really. Uh, you know, I always have enjoyed radio more than television. Even though I moved to television in 1981, I have always had this fantastic association and love for radio because, you know, it is by far the more expressive medium. I mean, when you think about in my life uh, as as a sports broadcaster, what you're doing is you're actually creating a picture for blind people. Mm. Uh, whereas on television, somebody else is really creating the picture, and all you're supposed to be doing is supplementing that picture and inform people around what they are seeing. But in radio, you create the whole picture, and it's uh, so much more of a challenge, and it's so wonderful. And I just love radio, and it's fantastic to know that it's uh, World Radio Day. Where did it all start for you? How did you get behind the mic? Because I understand that you started off as a sound operator here at the SABC as a 19-year-old. Yes, I did. Um, You know, I wrote to Charles Fortune, the great cricket commentator, when I was a little boy in Standard 6 at boarding school. And I said, very simply, you know, one day, Mr. Fortune, I want to be like you. And he wrote me a most discouraging letter back saying, oh, no, you have to do this and you have to do that. And, you you know, you, you, there's no commentator in the world under the age of 30. And, you know, you're far too young and go to university first and all those sort of things. And I used to commentate all the time in those wonderful little cricket matches that you have, you know, at boarding school. And I mm. dri- used to drive my teammates or, or my my friends completely crazy and uh, I said to my dad you know on the farm I said all right when I'd finished school um, I said you know I better do law then and I'll become an advocate and so he actually took me to uh, Wits University and I registered to do law and while we were in town having come from all the way from farm I I said to him just take me down to Commissioner Street to where the old SABC used to be I just want to go in there and talk to somebody and uh, I went in and I a long sob story about you know the fact that I'd come all this way from the farm and uh, uh, amazingly somebody actually said to me come up to the fifth floor and they interviewed me they put me through an aptitude test and they said you can start uh, in April next year as a a presentation assistant, the person who works with the broadcasters all the time. Mm-hmm. And I took the job instantly and uh, I went back downstairs and I said to my dad, I'm starting here on the 1st of April. He went mad. He said, no, 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 you're going to university first and when you've got your degree. And I said, no, no, I promise you I'll do my degree through UNISA, but I'm working here 
at the SABC from the 1st of April next year. And that's how it all started uh, in sound, as you say, uh, which is the most wonderful thing because you're working with the broadcasters all the time. And so it rubs off on you. And once I'd sort of got my degree in that, I I said to, uh, I'd like to become a broadcaster. So they did the audition uh, with me to become a full-time broadcaster on English radio as it used to be in the area, the forerunner of SAFM, and the rest is history. For sure. You mentioned a certain Charles Fortune earlier on, and that was actually my next question because I was told that he was one of your idols and I've had so many great tales about this man. What can you share with us about Charles Fortune? What made him so special? Because everybody uses him as a point of reference. Well, it was simply that he had this incredible command of the English language, which I think is very important for uh, an English broadcaster. And he emphasized that fact. Uh, and he he had this ability to paint pictures uh, through words. And it was absolutely wonderful to listen to him. And I remember once when I was very young and I was broadcasting with him, and you can imagine the nerves when at last I'm I'm sitting alongside my idol, my mentor, my tutor. And um, in those days, we used to get telegrams that used to come into the commentary box before, you know, the modern... (laughs) Uh, telephones and all that sort of thing and uh, he excuse my ignorance what's a telegram (laughs) exactly (laughs) well the post office used to deliver them to us in the commentary box incredibly and as the senior broadcaster he had he went through them all and decided which ones he was going to talk about on the air and which ones he threw into file 13 and I saw him push one aside and when the old man went off to uh, the gents I had a quick look at it and um, when he came back I said to him I said Mr. Fortune um, you know I took a, a little look at that uh, telegram and I understand why you pushed it one side but I would like to read it out on the air and he said oh do what you will then Trev <laughs> and um, so I did and it came from a blind home and all it said was dear Mr. Fortune When you are on the air, we see. Now, you can't get a greater compliment for a radio broadcaster, especially a commentator, than that. And that's, he was just the greatest. That explains it then. For those who've just joined us, we are catching up with Mr. Trevor O'Quirk as we celebrate him here on Flashback Fridays on uh, SAFM. And you can call us on 0891-104-207. Our SMS line is 40938. On WhatsApp, we take voice notes on 061-4104-107. And Ngaba has already called us from PE. Ngaba, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Good evening, Tabizo. How are you, man? Fine, thanks in you, sir. Uh, I'm good, man. Can't complain, man. Um, uh, Trevor, hi. Hello. Uh, how are you, Mr. Quick? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, uh, man, I miss that voice, man. I really, really do miss that voice. You know, um, uh, so legends don't come any better than this. Mm. You know, um, I, I remember as a young man growing up when um, when cricket has just been, um, you know, uh, readmitted to uh, to the global, to the international arena. Um, and then you'd have the likes of um, uh, Trevor Quirk, Jack Bannister, Lee Evan, and Robin Jackman, you know, and all those guys. And, um, I mean, man, you know, you just sit and listen, you know, um, the, the, the stats, the history 
um, the, the, you know, um, about the players, about the game itself. You know, they just made the, the, the game just really, really, really interesting. I mean, like as a young man growing up at the time, I really, really um, got an interest in cricket. And um, I mean, like I say, you know, um, you, you really got a legend, a living legend sitting right there next to you. And just as a parting shot, I remember there was a game, if I'm not really, really mistaken, um, uh, if my memory serves me right, um, when John De Rhodes took, I think, the most brilliant catch. I think we're playing Australia. I just can't seem to remember the year, you know? And, uh, and, and I mean, like, the, just the commentary, you know, it was just, like, out of this world. I really, 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 really enjoyed it. Um, and my question to him, though, would be, like, um, what really, who... I mean, amongst all the legends, you know, um, of uh, 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 um, commentators, like cricket commentators in the world, who would we say, like, um, really, he really emulates, you know, or try to emulate, okay. you know, when it actually came to the game? Okay. Because Will that be Charles Fortune, Mr. Quack, or do you have another name? Well, yes, it has <laughs> to be, because he was my mentor and my tutor. But, you know, I, I had such a regard for so many of the great commentators at that time, uh, John Arlott and uh, Brian Johnston, who, you know, were on BBC a Test Match Special in those days, Andy McGilvray, the great Australian cricket commentator. Uh, they were all fantastic broadcasters, uh, radio commentators, and I had huge admiration for them. And I used to, uh, as I say, as a schoolboy, when I was commentating on all those matches that you play with your mates, I, I used to take off all of the commentators. I used to do Charles Fortune, then Andy McGillray, then John Arlott and so on, uh, and drive them all completely crazy. So I had a huge regard for all those people because more, not so much because of their knowledge, because, you know, not any of them really played first-class cricket or yeah. test match cricket. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to play uh, first-class cricket for yeah. Northern Transvaal, the Titans, as they're now called. Yeah. Um, and so that gave me a bit more of a background as uh, or credibility, maybe, uh, as a cricket commentator. But um, as pure entertainers and masters of the language, those were the great men that I used to uh, emulate or try and emulate and think about. Great stuff. We've got Tony that's called us from Devon. Good evening, Tony. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good evening, Trevor. Um, there's always always one issue that I've never got to the bottom of, and it's not really related to sport and broadcast, but I'll never forget um, you going through a, a, a roadblock um, without stopping and always wondered what your state of mind was at the time. And I'll just listen on the radio for your response. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Let's take the second one before you answer that. We've also got Lungelo that's calling us from Buffalo City. Good evening, Lungelo. Uh, good evening, my brother. How are you? Fine, thank you. We've got Mr. Trevor Quirk with us. Uh, hi, Trevor. How are you? Very well, thank you, Lungelo. Yeah. Listen, Trevor, I, I'm going to be, be, be short. Uh, how did you find uh, the commentary together with uh, Peter Batella? Oh, Peter Batella, I loved him to pieces. You yeah, know, um, you, you guys, you were uh, paired that commentating for us very, very, very well. I enjoyed your guys. You did the two of you, even the jokes you normally use to, to, to make. Yeah, no, he was a fantastic man. And I remember when 
we at one stage in you know the whole process of transformation and development, whatever, that Peter Batella used to uh, commentate in Corsa alongside me, and I had a sort of understanding of what he was talking about because I'm a farm boy, and you know we spoke Sutu and and so on, and so. I I used to have to work with him all the time because I could understand more or less what he was saying, and then I'd supplement it in English. So we have a wonderful history. But, you know, the most beautiful thing about uh, Peter Batella was that I went on a tour, a rugby tour in 1979, the South African Barbarians, and I think he was the first ever black commentator to go overseas and commentate and we we did it for radio Gerard Vivier was the Afrikaans commentator I was English and Peter used to do it in Corsa and um, the thing about him he had a wonderful voice he could sing yes, quite yes. beautifully do you remember that yeah that, that, that's what we, are, we, 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 we observed uh, the, yes. you, the two of you guys even in rugby and in, yeah. in, 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 in cricket yeah yeah, he's, he used to sing so beautifully. And, you know, on that tour, which was a historic tour in 1979, it's hard to believe it's so far back, the South African barbarians, there were eight whites, eight coloreds, and eight black people in that side. And Morgan Couchet was the, the vice captain. Um, and all eight white guys became a Springboks in the end, and so did, of course, Errol Tobias. But others like Hempies de Toy and uh, uh, those sort of guys, Hempies Williams and those guys, they played for Western Province and other teams. They were great. But we, we had this fantastic tour, and I remember we were playing against Glanechli in Wales, and they had just beaten the All Blacks, so they were really a very powerful side. And um, after the match, which we won 13-6 in pouring rain, we were having a banquet, a dinner, and, you know, when the Welsh sing, you never, ever try and emulate them. And they sang their local song of Glenechli, which was Sospan Fach, and then Land of Our Fathers, and it was all so beautiful, because the Welsh have these wonderful voices. But suddenly, to their surprise and shock, we stood up, and with Peter Batella leading us, and he taught us on our many bus journeys to sing it properly. He led us in Schorzerlose, and it absolutely <laughs> silenced them. Beautiful. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to still continue our conversation with Mr. Trevor Quick. Zanzi's Sporting Milestones, Moments and Stories. Flashback Fridays with Tabiso Musia. Yes, still in conversation with Mr. Trevor Quirk and uh, someone here on uh, Twitter says you've got a true legend of sports broadcasting there. That's from Badela Dlovu who says you are talking to a giant there, my man. I really miss his commentary in cricket. Let's not forget the question from Tony about the roadblock. Why did you not stop? Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you see, in, in those wonderful days um, when uh, we came across roadblocks, most of the time uh, those that manned the roadblock uh, would recognize who you were, you see, and um, and merely sort of wave you on. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen quite these days like it used to, but uh, those were the good old days. So we, we got away with quite a lot. Definitely the good old days. You spoke about that rugby tour of the United Kingdom, Mr. Quirk. How was it to be a broadcaster in those time, in, the, in those days of apartheid? 
Well, you know, the sad thing about that tour, which we all thought was, uh, you know, a, a revolutionary tour, which indeed it was, and I have to say it's arguably the most enjoyable tour I've ever been on. And I've been on rugby tours, cricket tours, all over the world. But the camaraderie, the spirit on that tour between those 24 players was quite unique and it was fantastic. We had demonstrations wherever we went. Uh, we had to go by bus in order to avoid the demonstrators. Uh, and I mean, when we arrived at Heathrow Airport, we were only 10, 15 minutes down the, the highway when our, our bus burst into flames. Yeah. And uh, we all had to scramble out the windows. And that's when you're appreciative of having big lock forwards like Henny Becker and those sort of guys <laughs> to bash the windows out. And so that we could uh, escape. But you know, it, it, it was testing uh, and disappointing as a sports lover uh, that we had to go through those terrible times. And, you know, I, I resented uh, apartheid and, and, and what it subjected to us, us to. And, you know, even in my own cricket career, people say I might have played for South Africa as a wicketkeeper. Mm. Uh, if it wasn't, we were in isolation uh, through the years of 1970 and, uh, you know, up until 1980 when I was playing cricket. So all those sort of things one resents. And, you know, when you see that what fun we had and what camaraderie and spirit we had on that Barbarians rugby tour in 1979, why couldn't it always be like that? Yeah. Let's continue going down memory lane. The 1970s Montreal Olympics, were those the first Olympic Games that you covered? And how was that experience? Yes, it was. Um, it was my first ever overseas assignment as a young broadcaster. And uh, it was an incredible experience to go to the Montreal Olympic Games. And the sad thing there again was that South Africa wasn't there, of course. Yeah. Um, and also 69, I think it was, countries withdrew from that Olympic Games because the All Black rugby side, the New Zealand rugby side, was playing in South Africa. And there was this, you know, tremendous sort of political pressure. And here I was doing the Montreal Olympic Games for, for radio, and we weren't even participating, and, and so many of the countries had withdrawn. But as, as an experience, it was uh, obviously, because it was my first one, it, it was one of the, the truly great, great times of my life. Tennis tournaments, you I mentioned you did the French Open about 10 times, Wimbledon 16 times, and everybody that I spoke to before this interview records that you were a great tennis commentator. Is there any particular Grand Slam that stands out for you? Well, you know, Wimbledon is unique. I mean, there is no tennis tournament in the yeah. world. like It's like the Masters, I suppose, in, in, in golf. But... Um, I had the privilege of so many great matches, uh, finals of Wimbledon that I commentated on with the likes of John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg and Pete Sampras. And, you know, I could go on and on and on. And even our own Kevin Curran got to the yeah. final of Wimbledon, which was a, a fantastic achievement. Wayne Ferreira, I remember commentating in uh, his quarterfinal match against Boris Becker. He was two sets up and 5-4 and serving for the match and he lost. 
in five sets and it was you know a devastating moment for us as South Africans but there were so many wonderful times at Wimbledon which is as I say a great garden party and uh, the French Open yes it's very different but um, there too it, it was an incredible experience being in Paris for those for those tennis tournaments but you know whether it was tennis or golf or cricket, rugby, uh, boxing, uh, soccer, whatever it was, it was just the the greatest privilege that one, anybody who loves sport, is fanatical about sport as I am, could ever experience. It sounds like you guys traveled a lot at the at time and uh, you were actually at the live events when you were commentating and nowadays the commentators don't get to travel, I guess mainly because of a budget. What do you make of what's happening these days? Well, I think that's very disappointing for for broadcasters uh, if they don't travel to the venue because you lose out a lot. You don't, you're not mixing with the players. You're not, uh, you don't glean information. Uh, also, a thing like cricket, for instance, to do it off television is very difficult because you can't see the field. And if a a, a player moves from square leg to fine leg, you can't see that. And, you know, that's why it's it's not ideal at all. Certain things are easy enough to do off uh, television, off on tube, as we call it. Uh, things like tennis, because it's in a restricted space. And golf, obviously, you have to do off the screen because you can't be yeah. everywhere in a huge on a huge golf course. But things like uh, cricket in, in particular, uh, and even rugby, uh, I think the broadcasters should be there. And uh, certainly we went to whatever we could in those times. There were restrictions because obviously we didn't go on as many tours, especially in cricket early on. Uh, I went on the first one when we got um, you know, back into international cricket in 1991. We went to India and then 1992 to uh, the West Indies and so on. So um, that when that happened, it was just wonderful for me because it was fulfillment of dreams that I'd always harbored. Okay, let's go to the voice notes. Scully in Devon, please call us back. Sorry we lost you there, Scully. Uh, but let's go to the voice notes for Mr. Trevor Quirk. Good afternoon to you, sir. <laughs> you have one of the legends there when it came to radio announcing, especially in cricket. He was there in the time of Alan Curry, the Pollock brothers, Barry Richards, Henry Fotheringham. He made, the, the way he announced the game to us, like we were personally at the ground seeing the game. Well done, sir. May you have many, many happy years. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That's the first one. Let's see if we can get the second one for Mr. Quirk. When you are on the air, we see. That is a very profound statement for somebody to make. Uh, more especially since we all know that when you listen to the radio, you have to use your imagination. You would like to get as close as possible a picture to the reality. And for a commentator to use artistic skill and eloquence of speech to bring across that, that is mastery. So thank you, Mr. Quirk, for bringing that across to us, and I think every commentator should strive towards that, uh, more especially in this time of radio, day or week, whichever one it is. Okay. And um, I think more people should listen to radio, more especially our children of today, because generally they are underperforming relative to what was, and more especially relative to the international stage. Um, Thank you for your mastery and commentary, Mr. Quirk. 
Okay, thank you for that for those voice notes. And we get a lot of those, Mr. Quirk. The other day we had Martin Tyler that we spoke to. We spoke to Peter Patrella, actually even Dumile Mateza. And a lot of people are not satisfied with the quality of commentating these days. What do you make of the standard of commentating? Well, I must be honest that in, in many ways I'm disappointed. And I think one of the big reasons for that is that these days um, the broadcasting companies go for people that have played games at the highest level. In other words, test match rugby or test match cricket or uh, professional golf or whatever it is. And instead of um, being anchored by broadcasters, I think what the old days we used to have broadcasters who led the broadcast, like Charles Fortune and John Arlett and all those sort of people. And then you had expert opinions. But the anchor broadcaster was the main man who who had this ability to paint pictures and had the command of the language and all that sort of thing. So in that respect, it's become a little disappointing that you've got a lot of experts, but they're not necessarily good broadcasters. And so they, they, they find it difficult, actually, to get the picture across, as it were. What makes a, bo- a good broadcaster in your books? A good broadcaster. Uh, let's uh, stick to sport for 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 because that's what yeah. I am as a commentator. Is that first of all you need to have a good command of the language that you're going to broadcast in, and then obviously it's a bonus if you have the ability with words and paint pictures, and also I'm talking particularly about radio now, and then at the same time, you have the disciplines of broadcasting, you know, countdowns and all these things that people don't know about, but mm. uh, you know about to be so. <laughs> and, and, and those are important things to be able to react to those disciplines. And then sensibly bring in your expert opinion uh, people and ask them the right questions, get them to respond in, in the right way. Those are the important things uh, of broadcasting. And, you know, today sometimes I, I've been listening recently to the Australian cricket commentators. All they're doing is they're laughing all the time and they <laughs> little in-house jokes and yeah. things. The public are not interested in that, and they're not party to it. They don't know about those in-house affairs. And I remember when I used to conduct workshops uh, for my broadcasters that worked under me in radio and television, that, you know, don't get too familiar with each other. Remember that you're broadcasting to millions of people that are not privy to your little stories and things like that. And I always remember being told, Think about it this way. You are commentating, you are broadcasting to your grandmother who's sitting in a chair and she wants to know the whole picture of what you're talking about. And that, I think, was a great lesson for me. I was at Sun City last year for the golf, the NGC, and Dale Hayes was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And part of his speech, he said that you, he thanked you for starting his broadcasting career because he says you shoved a mic in front of his face. Is that true? <laughs> well, yeah, Dale and I are great friends. And, um, you know, we did a lot of golf commentating together with Dennis Hutchinson, of course. So, yes, um, you know, when we, we brought Dale abroad, uh, aboard as a commentator, he obviously was a little rough and really and and you know I nursed him through it all and uh, and helped him uh, and nurtured him like Charles Fortune did with me and uh, you know today Dale has 
succeeded Dennis Hutchinson as the voice of South African golf. And he he's a very good broadcaster these days in his own right. Do you miss behi- being behind the mic, Mr. Trevor Quirk? Is there anything in particular that you miss if you do? I do. I miss, uh, obviously, I miss it tremendously. But, you know, you get old, so, you <laughs> you know, the time comes when, when you've got to uh, be put out to pasture, I suppose is the way to say it. And I just reflect on the many wonderful, wonderful years. I live now in Cape Town. I have for 20 years, and I love the city. And, you know, this I used to come here virtually every Friday during the football season and commentate on soccer. Oh. On one Friday night, it was Cape Town City, and then... Uh, Budgie Byrne would be my expert opinion because Roy Bailey was the, the manager of, of Cape Town City. And then the next Friday, I'd do Hellenic, and uh, Budgie Byrne was the coach of Hellenic. And then Roy Bailey would be my expert opinion. And his son, Gary Bailey, yeah. who played for England and Manchester, Manchester United, United eventually, Gary grew up in the back of my commentary box. It, it, you know, there's just so many wonderful, wonderful stories and uh, moments and a lot of people definitely miss hearing your voice i'll end with this message from jack and albertine who says so trevor was very quick for his dad what a beautiful story the voice still has an unmatched touch of a class mr quirk it's been an honor sir for us to talk to you we wanted to bring you on here celebrate you on world radio day have you as our legend on flashback fridays and just highlight for the young ones some like us that are not familiar with most some of the work that you've done and i just think most importantly like everybody we bring on this lot we wanted to give you the respect that you deserve sir while you're still alive and still with us so we can celebrate you well it's been an absolute privilege being on the show with you to be sir and also we've got a message from Victor Homoiswa and Victor K uh, here who seems to be enjoying uh, this conversation with uh, Mr. Trevor Quirk. He says, thank you, member, for hosting the great Trevor Quirk on your show. And I think that goes for everybody. Once again, Mr. Uh, uh, Quirk, for me personally, it's an honor and I think everybody has enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully it's not the end, it's not the last time. We'll catch up with you again. Thank you, Tabizwa. Thank you. That is the legend himself, Trevor Quirk. And that's it. Our time is up. Uh, Flashback Fridays. Thank you for joining us. My name is Tabi Somosia.